us. Man, Mikey, thanks so much for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Will, glad to be here. Man, so uh, I got to be pretty honest. The biggest reason why I'm having you on is because your accent, man. Perfect. Yep. <laughs> yep. Just here to sprinkle a little English accent into Yeah. The yeah. I was like, man, what? how can we get more views on this thing? <laughs> I mean, right now, already the demographic on my insights are like, I think, 70% Female, so I think okay. this is going to take it up to like ninety percent. Anything I can do to help the brand, man, I'm here for it. I did, I did learn recently that the British accent is one of the most trusted accents. By Seriously, yeah, it's like the number one trusted accent. Wait, but so a Nigerian accent is completely different, right? Oh yeah, it's oh, not yeah. like it's not like a British accent. I'm, I'm trying to picture like a yeah, yeah, it is completely different. The reason I'm saying that's because like you kind of put you um, uh, sometimes people think of like the Nigerian prince and like all those oh, like yes, stuff yeah, that goes yeah. on, you know what I mean? Like yeah. send me your bank account. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> is it the most trusted thing? Is it the most trusted? But no real Mikey, I'm having you on because, uh, man, I've gotten to know you now. Uh, we're going on about a year now. Yeah. So, so close to yeah. a year. And, um, so you're a financial advisor. Yep. What's your actual title there? Vice president technically of the firm, but outside of that kind of in the day-to-day -day tactical work I'm doing with my clients, financial advisor is the right title. There you go. So you're a vice president for Inspire Financial mm -hmm. and you help a lot of different people kind of in the same way that I do with something that's really personal to them and yeah. can be really complex to a lot of people, but in a completely different way, you know, um, there's some good conversations that you and I have had, um, that have helped me a lot. And I know that, um, there's some questions that you have had on the mortgage side that you're like, man, oh, yeah. what about this? Right. So it's like kind of the same thing, but not really. So how long have you been doing that, man? I have been in the industry, uh, exclusively for just about five years now, uh, but always had interest in it. Like I knew back in college that this is what I wanted to do. It just took me a while to find the firm that I really wanted to partner up with and build a career with. And what what do you think kind of uh, intrigued that in you? Man, honestly, I think I wasn't really aware of money and financial planning and the right things to do with our finances until probably my freshman year in college. Okay. I It was my goal to come over from the UK and play college basketball and my family traveled a ton as we grew up. My parents had pretty good jobs, made good money. Little did I know they didn't always make the best financial decisions yeah. on the back end. So there was a lot of um, harder discussions yeah. that happened around my senior year in high school as I was trying to get over here to play college basketball. And um, I ended up at the end of my freshman year in a class called personal financial planning. And for me, it was one of those eye-opening moments. And I just remember thinking about the content that I was hearing and realizing, man, if my parents would have had this type of information and insight and help, it could have been a game changer for the yeah. conversations we had. But I'm sure for, you know, all the other things that were causing any tension or stress in their in their marriage. That's so good, man. And uh, right now I'm actually, it's crazy that it took me this long, but um, started reading um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. Such a good book, man. I'm on yeah. chapter two right now. And one of the things that when you said, you know, little did I know they didn't always make the best financial decisions. Sure. And uh one of the things that stood out to me in this chapter, he talks about how, you know, the reason why p rich people get rich is because they buy assets instead of liabilities. And it, and it sim seems so simple, but two things, uh, most adults, you know, what's an asset and what's not a liability. And it's like, oh, that, you know, I know what that is, sure. but, but people can't really pretty much simplify it. And for lack of better words, just dumb it down enough to truly 
discern of like, hey, is this a good purchase or not? Because it talks about how so many of the middle and poor class buy liabilities thinking that it's an asset. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Um, I'm with you 100%. And I think, you know, back to what you said at the beginning about doing similar things for our clients, it's really about simplification because there is so much... We don't think of it as advanced or um, niche terminology because we deal with it every day. But to the average person that doesn't work in our world, they don't know what those concepts mean. Yeah. Re- they may have a rough idea, but I think part of what we do is bring clarity to that situation and help them understand that the decisions are th- that they're making actually have X, Y, and Z impacts. And part of that comes with helping them understand what these different words mean. You know, um, I think too, there's just... The other battle specifically with what you're talking about is a lot of times, especially in the world we live in now, the things that are actually liabilities give us that instant gratification itch. Yeah, like a new car. Right, exactly. So the things that are really worthwhile building long term, those wealthy assets, they don't always give you that immediate sense of satisfaction and gratification. So it's like, well, why wouldn't I do this instead? Because that feels good right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, a lot of the times buying a, a fixer upper to put up for rent that you put potentially make you 50, 100K in the next eight to 10 years doesn't really seem like it's the most attractive thing. Sure. But um, man, something that you said, it's like, you, that's what your job is, just to simplify yeah. things. You know, one of the things when people ask me, you know, what is one of the biggest uh, attributes to any success that you've had, whether it's been a mortgage, um, just overall in life. But, but of course, uh, my career is, a, I'm a mortgage loan officer. So um, what, if I had to pick one thing is communication, mm. but then communication is such a broad yeah. thing, right? Communication, like, are you talking about like, what type of communication? Are you speaking to a group of people? Are you, but it's like, the best way that I could describe it is communication is by being being available yeah and then being able to simplify things one of my favorite quotes is humans are attracted to simplicity yeah but are repelled by confusion mm. and confusion is once again another word that it kind of it's like ugly and like like i'm confused right mm. i actually say that all the time like whenever i don't understand something i tell people like i'm confused like <laughs> yeah. knowing like i don't understand like why why you guys are even saying this but uh sometimes we realize that uh like i was just doing a cl- uh, uh, a class with a group of realtors and i was talking to them and telling them that um you know if let's say you for example and you're kind of in the finance world you just go under contract and we say, hey, congrats, Mikey. You just went on your contract. We're going to have to get um, a structural inspection. Be- and then at that point, you know, this house might need some peer work and, you mm-hmm. know, a couple of peerings. And then by- after that, though, we can maybe negotiate that with the TRR with the seller. And don't forget, rates have gone up right now. So don't forget to talk to your uh, lender about buying discount points. At that point, <laughs> like you just went under contract on like the home of your dreams at that time, let's say, and you're super excited but that confusion that oh, yeah. it do, but it doesn't sound like but to me it's not confusion because right. i understand all those terms or the realtor understands that but to you that's confusion and that just took away your joy yeah and my, that's head, what confusion my head is swimming that. just listening to you say that and you could do the <laughs> same thing through the home buy process. And, and you could do the same thing you could yeah. be like uh i'd be like hey mikey you know if we really want to confuse anybody that's watching this it's like uh hey man the uh a recession's coming, this yeah. and that. Like, what are your thoughts on all of it? And then you dive deep in all mm-hmm. of it. And then uh, people are going to be like, yeah, I'm not going to watch this. Yeah. 
And it's like, it's so crazy, yeah. man. So, um, so yeah, it, you, rich people looking at assets um, and then middle to lower class people, liability. Let me ask you this. When do you think somebody is wealthy enough or has money enough money to, let's say, indulge in some of these liabilities like and then Mm. and then you can you know liabilities guys that's a big word uh to you know as much as most people don't want to admit it to most people because it's like let's describe some liabilities we talked about a car Mm -hmm. um one of the things that it talks about in that book is like hey those comic books that you boys are reading those are those toys are going to keep getting more expensive as more money that you're making everything so what are some things that you kind of run into like your client calls you says mikey hey i need to pull pull x amount in order to buy this what are some of those things yeah so in, in terms of determining when they're ready to be able to do well some of what are things? some of those liabilities oh man golly um or the top three liabilities that you see i'm gonna top say three liabilities i did i think i think a car is definitely in there mm-hmm. that's maybe the maybe the top one right and especially not making strategic decisions around why you have that vehicle what it's purposed for are you using it for business miles or you know, personal miles, those types of things. Outside of that, um, you have a boat. A boat is a big one, especially here in Oklahoma. Yes, man. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, like I'll become friends with people on Facebook that I've done loans for. And then I'm just like, wait, how does this person have a boat? Yeah. Yeah. I know how much money they're making. I, like I've, what? I've heard a very interesting thought on boats, right? There's, there's two great days in your lifespan as a boat owner, the day you buy it and the day you sell it. <laughs> Love that. (laughs) Because people just don't want the headache of the maintenance and, you know, storing it and those types of things. And don't get me wrong. I'm sure you get to create fantastic memories on that boat with their family. But I'd rather just borrow my buddy's boat as opposed to have the payment and the maintenance and those types of things. The last thing that I can think of, unless you can think of another liability, is because when I think of a boat, I think of maintenance. And I Mm. hate maintenance. Oh, yeah. So the first time when we bought our first house... Uh, my wife and I, uh, the house actually had a hot tub in the back. <laughs> and um, one of my things that uh, part of the contract was, I want you guys to take this hot tub out because okay. because I didn't want to deal with any maintenance. Yeah. Right. But that's another thing that it could be, it, it, it could, it is a liability mm-hmm. uh, it, it, because at that point it's like, hey, I, I just want to do this just so that way I can, you know, be kind of relaxed for a little yeah. bit after instead of work, but you're buying these things for five, eight, ten thousand, and then you're selling them for yeah. one or two. Yeah, thousand. I think something along the lines of that, maybe the third one that we could throw in this category, are, and I'm I'm not against home upgrades. Yeah, but home upgrades for the sake of home upgrades, when there's not a practical application exactly. to this becoming potentially a rental property, or I'm yes. specifically doing this much of an investment to increase my house value yeah. by X amount so that when I sell it, I have more of an equity play in it. That's probably where people get carried away. But I mean, we have things like HGTV. Yeah. <laughs> people are w- watching these things all day long. Yeah. I think, I think the biggest one that I see on my end is pools, especially pools, yeah. with how hot it is here. Um, and uh, a lot of people think this is a, an upgrade. I'm going to get my money back, yeah. but it's like, you're only right now with the amount of appreciation of how much homes are going in value up in value. It's probably the best time to get a pool, but still doesn't mean that if you're paying X, like if you're paying hundred K for a pool that you're going to get those full hundred K back. Right. So, but before that, before, like, let's talk about like normal real estate world, uh, before COVID, if you were putting a hundred K pool in, 
you're lucky to see like half of that back in the value of the home. And that's another thing that people, you know, try to talk themselves into just because it's it's sexy and attractive. Right. So yeah, I'm calling you and I'm saying, Hey, uh, you know, uh, Hey, I want to pull out 10 K to put down on this Range Rover that I just saw. You know, I got a race. (laughs) I got, I got a little race bump at work and, um, and I can afford the payment. Yep. Uh, so I just need 10 K what's your, um, what's your answer? Typical answer. Let's say yeah, that's a great question. And, and I will say, I hate to kind of back it out and, um, say, you know, each situation is unique, but it truly is right. So first and foremost, I want to start with where we probably started the planning process, which is around their goals and their vision. If a certain lifestyle is, is a part of their financial goal and a part of their vision, then there's not too much I can say about that, right? Because yeah. at the end of the day, there's all these great things that they could be doing financially. But ultimately, my role in their world is to help them experience the kind of life they want to experience from a financial standpoint. Gotcha. However, I will balance that with, we do have some general rules of thumb for how much you should be saving in terms of your gross take home, or sorry, your gross income, what that does to your take home pay. So if we're saving a certain amount, right, each month and I'm allowed to build the type of strategy we need to build to set you up for long-term success and you still have the excess in your budget, even after we're saving the appropriate amount, that's more of a fluid conversation. But if we're not at a good emergency fund rate and we don't have money put back for X, Y, and Z, and now you're trying to add this extra liability, that's where I have a little bit more comfortability giving some pushback on maybe thinking through the right timing. Gotcha. Does that make sense? It does make sense, man. And one of the things that you kind of captivated me in, in by that answer was, and I've seen this firsthand, is that I, I, I truly, from other financial advisors that I've met, I don't believe that most people kind of, most of them take that approach of like, well, I do remember, Mikey, that you told me that you love to travel. Mm-hmm. So you do want to pull 10K out to fly to Italy or whatever, right? right? Uh, because I feel like most people are so, most financial advisors, w- and tell me if you agree or not, but are so quick to be like, like, dude, that's such a stupid idea. <laughs> like, because I would never do that. Sure. Right? Yeah. Right? So, but that's that's in, in everything as well too. Yeah. Uh, because like, for example, like a couple of weeks ago, I did a bike race for 103 miles. It actually ended up being 110 miles. And I would tell people about it and they would be like, dude, that's so stupid. Like, why yeah. would you do that? Like, I would never do that. So sure. would you say that majority of the financial advisors are probably in that mentality just because they're so, you know, honed in on like, dude, that's just a stupid decision. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't speak to, you know, individual planning philosophies yeah. and things like that, but absolutely. I think we all have to battle looking at it through our personal lens. Yeah. Right. But one of the things that we're really diligent about on the front end is explaining to people that this isn't about just building and leaving a legacy. You also want to live a legacy. Yeah. Right. Like so good. I I have seen so many, I guess you could almost call them sub stories of people that were saving, saving, saving for retirement, right? This perpetually far away time. And then by the time they hit retirement and now they have the funds and the freedom to do all the things they were planning to do, maybe their health isn't there. Maybe it costs way more than they thought it would cost at this point. And so they've, They've bypassed a lot of living their life for the sake of saving. So we have to find that delicate balance of, hey, if traveling with your spouse, for example, right, if that is something you do to invest in your relationship to keep, to keep you strong, to keep you on the same page, to keep you moving in the right direction, 
that's a valid expenditure of money over the course of a year. If we're still able to save and put back and hit these other longer-term financial goals, I have, I'm, I'm completely fine with, with you making that investment along the way. Man, that, that is so good because I try to stay kind of in the middle. And what I mean by that is I have a lot of friends and family members even that are on one end of the spectrum. And what I mean by that is they're either very bad with money mm -hmm. to where if they were to win the lottery, they would probably be one of those people that go broke after it's a few gone. days because yep. it's gone, right? And that's kind of like the YOLO mindset. Like yeah. you only live once, like, right? <laughs> And then you also have those people that are very, very frugal. And then I'm just like, I know that you probably have like six figures in the bank. Like why is, you know, you ordering this great value or, or I don't, I'm trying to have I can't a soda with dinner once in a while. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, why, why you live like that? Like if you die today or tomorrow, you don't get to take any of that with you. So like, what is it all for? Yeah, right. Yeah. One of the people that comes to mind that, I mean, I honestly, like, I think he has a lot of wisdom and, and I mean, clearly he's been doing the right thing, but dude, Warren Buffett, my guy still lives in the same house yeah. that he's been living in the past 30 years. And this guy's worth billions of dollars. Yeah. And I heard something the other day that really put like, Hey, that guy's a billionaire. That guy's a millionaire. Put that into perspective to me because, you know, you hear, when you hear like that guy's a billionaire, this guy's a millionaire, yeah. it's kind of all kind the of same. Off, they're yeah. all, they're yeah. all wealthy. But I heard this thing the other day that said, did you know that a million seconds is 11 days? It's a long time, mm -hmm. but a, a billion seconds is over 30 years. Yeah. I have heard. So now I look at this and I'm thinking like Warren Buffett or like yeah. even George Kaiser, local guy here, like he's worth $11 billion. And yeah. I'm just like, oh my gosh, that guy has yeah. money to live 90 lives or something, yeah. right? So you right. have got people like that, that I'm like, dude, who cares if he has so much mm -hmm. money? Like he hasn't gotten to enjoy any of it. So I, I, my goal is every time is like, how can I make a middle decision? Mm -hmm. Meaning, am I going, am I being irresponsible? And am I, or am I being too like tight, like too frugal where I, I'm not going to get to enjoy my life? Yes. So, um, what are, what are your thoughts on like, on, let, let's just say your clients, let's say you have 10 clients, right? Yeah. Just to kind of, how many of those are kind of in the middle? How many of those are like, you're like, dude, we really got to rein these people mm -hmm. back. What are your thoughts on that? I think the vast majority of the people that I interact with probably come from more of the frugality and what I would even call a bit of a scarcity mindset. Uh, mentality right around it and I think part of that's because of the generation that raised us um, and just the things that were either taboo to talk about in a, in a financial realm or just weren't discussed at all in the household so we had no awareness coming into you know the working world about really how money worked yeah. right so I do think you have to balance again back to your idea of balance of what's important to you right so if for Warren Buffett, right? If it's not important for him to have flashy cars or live in certain places, that, that you know, to each their own. Yeah. But I do think as humans, like let's just go back to the to how we're kind of built and created and those types of things. There's a habitual nature to humans. So if we do have to live in a certain, let's call it poverty mindset or scarcity mindset at one point in our life, because it really is hand to mouth, right? Resources are scarce in that season. Maybe we're fresh out of college. We don't have a ton of money, those types of things, right? 
over time, those things become habitual in nature. And so what we have to kind of pause and reflect on is, hey, have I actually arrived at a point now where that mindset isn't needed for one anymore and it's not healthy and it's not serving the, the long-term vision and the, and the legacy that I'm trying to create? I'd say the vast majority of people have, the, the people that come to see me, they have lived in that little bit more scarcity environment for a while and they're trying to figure out now that money is coming in and they have a little bit more free cash flow, what are the best decisions to make? Because they're feeling that tension that you talk about of, I don't want to just be frivolous, but I feel like I'm at a point now where I can be doing some other things. I want to be smart, putting money back, building for the future, but also want to figure out like, what's my travel fund look yeah. like? What does my fun money look like? And those are the kind of conversations that I'm in day in, day out, especially with a more millennial demographic that I deal with. Yeah, that's, that's uh, you hit a couple of things that made me think of, pretty much like knowing when to take the the guardrails off, right? And um, pretty much like one thing that I can think of is like I've had friends that have gone through the Dave Ramsey stuff mm -hmm. because they had student debt and all this stuff, right? And now they're in a place to where they're doing well for themselves, yeah. still using the uh, cash envelope yeah. method. And yeah. I'm just like, what? That doesn't make any sense yeah. to me, right? And then going back to um, kind of like what you said, like do to each their own, but you know you have people like Jeff Bezos or that 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 I personally think, but I mean I don't know Warren Buffett personally, so I, who knows maybe he doesn't really care about you you know a nicer house or this or that. But one thing that I've heard and I, I can't remember what amount of money it was, but one a guy that he was like a billionaire, he said, uh, "Man, once you reach, you know this." this income to where you can literally buy whatever you want to like things are just like there's no really joy in them mm. on that to where we go back to talking about an asset and a liability like most people buy that liability because it brings that 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 rush that yeah. attract them it's like yeah. you know and then so once you hit a certain number which once again we think of a millionaire and a billionaire but it's really not that deep into to the finances to where at some point like you're like dude like stuff's just stuff yeah. and it's just yeah. like i really want that pair of shoes but guess what they're gonna be in i'm not gonna be wearing them after like three or six right. months right right it's just stuff yeah so um so going back to um actually one thing i wanted to ask you i never asked you so like what how do you how would you compare the uk to to the united states like what are your thoughts when you came over oh man Okay, that's there's a there's a lot we could get into here. Now, I will say my dad's American. Okay, so I traveled back and forth a lot as a youngster, so I was always kind of enamored by the American lifestyle. Gotcha. The I didn't know that. The glam, downtown city life, you know, all that. My dad's from Las Vegas, which is <laughs> probably not gotcha. a fair comparison, right? I'm going back to like my small city in the UK. What would you com compare your small city in the UK to here? Like, Hon honestly, the city I grew up in the UK was like the Tulsa of the UK. Really? Yeah. Derby. Americans would say Derby. It's D E R B Y. Gotcha. Kind of a mid sized city. Most people have, have heard of it, maybe traveled through it, but not always seen as a, a place to stop and hang out yeah, and yeah, there's yeah. a bunch to do and see. So when I first got to Tulsa, I thought this place was a ghost town. Yeah. Cause like I said, when I would travel to the United States all every, all the action was in downtown, Yeah, downtown Tulsa in 2009, there wasn't a whole lot going yeah. on. Right. The, I think the city of Tulsa has done a great job making it more, 
more of an attractive place to be, especially for young professionals. But I, I knew, I won't say I knew. In 2009, when I arrived, I said, I got to be on the first flight out of here when I graduate. You were like, out there's of here. no way I could stay in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And look at me now. I'm yeah. a Tulsa resident. But I think some of the biggest differences, especially being in this portion of the country, is there's a lot of, I think, kind of natural skepticism and cynicism to British people, just a little bit more sarcastic, a little bit more cheeky and rude and those types of things. So coming to the Bible Belt here in Oklahoma, you know, I'm joking and poking fun at people and like, hey, sir, that's not very polite. And I'm like, oh, I'm just joking. Like, that's what I do with my friends. Like, yeah, you poke yeah. fun at your friends. So I think just getting used to a little bit more of that friendly facing, you know, jovial get to know people just for the you know sake of getting to know people yeah. and, and be warm that was a bit of a culture shock for me obviously the food it's completely different same same here so i don't i you've heard my story yeah, that i've shared yeah. it and uh man coming here from mexico it was uh the food like just completely tastes so much different and yeah. i'm just like oh my gosh yeah. like so what kind of food like for me of course it was like your rice and beans and like tortillas like yeah. what what kind of food did you so I grew up, you know, just running down to the local fish and chip shop. Yeah. So it was high quality fish. Now, they obviously like batted it and covered it in yeah. salt and vinegar and all those kind of things. But just having access to fish and chips or, you know, like a beans on top, like very basic meals, right? And not a ton of flavor or taster, but just real good, yeah, yeah. hearty meals. And, and you, you went to like A&W, like Long John Silver's here or what? Oh, dude, it doesn't even compare, man. It's so bad. It's so bad. But I, to ask you that, right? So there's, there's a lot of, I would say, kind of at least Tex-Mex influence in terms of like food that's available here. How does it compare to the authentic it Mexican food that you grew it up. It doesn't. No, even, like, even like a restaurant around town that you would say that oh, they're, they're pretty close. Uh, no, really. I wouldn't say that. Uh, I think that there are, you know, and I've been here for so long that yeah. I think of, I, I compare the authentic now to your like, you know, uh, Chewy's or tads or that, sure. that big tex-mex thing right yeah. when somebody says like i'm, I'm gonna go have mexican tonight and they're going to one of those places tex-mex yeah so <laughs> i compare i, I kind of see authentic more of like your hole in the walls here in the united yeah. states now but even the hole in the walls here in the united states are completely different than like okay like the real stuff down there okay. for sure and um so the food and then what is there any other big things obviously you drive on the other side of the road Wow, I didn't yeah. see. That's one thing that I didn't yeah. even think Drive about. Drive on the other side of the road. This so the driver's side of the car is on the other side of the car. Were you driving out there? Like, In were the you UK old enough before I got yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. So was that super? That would be it super was, weird if I was, was like driving. The first time I got in a car in the United States to drive, I was still on on like someone's street. So I was driving down the street of that cul-de-sac on the wrong side of the road. And I didn't realize it until someone turned into the street and started driving right towards me. And so you were mind, literally I'm like, heading. I'm like, what's this idiot doing? He's driving, you know, he's driving straight to, and then I'm like, oh, I'm the idiot on the oh wrong side gosh, of the road. Oh my gosh, that is so. crazy. So uh, you come over here and you, you kind of fall in love with the um, financial side of things. Yeah. And then, you know, one of the things that you said at the very beginning, you said, if only my parents would have known what I'm realizing now, maybe things would have been different. But yeah, going back to those 10 clients that let's say just to, to have, get a good percentage on that. Here's the thing is like anybody that lives in the United States knows about fitness, knows about eating healthy, sure. and there's still a bunch of people overweight, right? Mm -hmm. Most 
a lot of people know a lot of different information. And one of my favorite books, I don't know if you read it, Compound Effect. He no, talks about how we live in such a get rich quick mentality type of era um, or get abs without having to do mm -hmm. like like you people want something so fast and without having to do the work that so many like like you don't need any more information right. you need some more doing you yes. need to actually do stuff with that information yep. because i can give you all the information that you want but if you don't do anything with it you're still going to be in the same spot yeah so how many of the people that you say that you meet i guess at this point they might not even be clients but uh what percentage like you're given that information that you're like i wish my parents would have known that but they don't take that mm, man i think it'd probably be pretty easy to say about 80 percent of them but i get i give them grace on that will and here's why i say that i one of one of my business coaches shared this concept with me um but he said if you were to picture your mind right like your mind and your belief system is what controls your actions, right? So if you, if you were to picture your mind and picture it as just like a, a normal circle and then just draw a line halfway through that circle, right? So you split it in half. So now you've got two semicircles sitting on top of each other. Information goes into the conscious mind, which is the, the top part of that circle, that diagram, right? The only way though that we start actually operating and acting on that information is when that information is instilled long enough or it's repeated enough that we actually start to believe it. And that's the process of information moving from the top part of that circle to the bottom part. Once it's in our belief system, we operate from our beliefs. So that's why people will hear great information, they hear great insight, and they maybe make a change for a week or two, but because they don't stick with it until it's a belief and a habit, their actions never reflect. And so if our actions aren't reflecting, ultimately the results we get don't you know give us what we're after and so that reinforces what we're thinking or believing so i think part of my role in the client's world is not just to introduce new topics and ideas and financial concepts but make sure the repetition and the reps and the automation of some of those things is happening in such a way that now it's becoming a belief and a habit and the actions are, are backing all of that up dude that is so good and i've that's the first time i've ever heard of that and you know, the first thing that made me think of, it's going to sound so silly, but uh, just like yesterday or the day before, within the last 48 hours, I watched a video, an older video of an interview of Kanye West, Okay, right when he was taken off and yeah. he was like, you know, and they were interviewing and they, and they were asking him like, so where, how far, you know, there has to be a limit to your to your belief right mm -hmm. like you believe that you're the greatest rapper in in the world like you know wh where does that when does that stop like where does what's the actual limit to that oh. and then he says he says if i wanted to be in the nba i would be in the nba right now that's how much i believe in myself yeah and you know it's kind of like a funny TikTok, funny real funny video but now that you said that man yeah. The reason it made me think of that is because I truly believe that that's where his success came from and where so many people's success comes from of truly believing, like waking up every single day and saying, I'm, I'm the, you know, I, I'm the fittest person, you know, in, in this town. I am this, I am like pr prophesying that and truly believing yeah. people will think that you're crazy. Yeah. 
but that is what will get you there. That's what gets you there. Dude, that is so Absolutely. crazy. Absolutely. Because if you, if you think about it, right, like the conscious mind, right, back to that idea of the diagram, you can accept or reject information. Like I could hear an idea or a new concept and be like, mm, that doesn't really make sense. I'm not going to accept that. But your beliefs are so deeply rooted. You only accept that. You don't even realize you're accepting them because it's just things that are so, you, it's, it's, it's like, this is who I am. This is what I, you, you would never say this is what I believe about myself. We just say, this is who I am. But it's really just a collection of beliefs and ways that we look at the world that we just accept. Yeah. So if, if you were to tell yourself time and time, I'm the fittest guy in Tulsa. No questions asked. Are you kidding me? Like I work out harder than anybody, yeah. right? It might sound a little bit silly at first, even to you, just to say something that bold. But if you repeated it time and time again, well, y- your actions are going to start backing it up because you're like, well, if I'm the fittest guy in the world, then fittest guys get good night's sleep and they get great nutrition and they hit the gym <laughs> and they, they do their rom wads, right? Like they get, and over time, it's like you may just become that guy because all of your actions are aligning with this belief statement that you're repeating over and over and over. Dude, that is so good, man. I'm just kind of mind blown a little <laughs> bit right now. And it also makes me think about another reason of what I would attribute any success that I've had any, in anything. And it's this quote that I heard in a book that I read. When I started as a mortgage banker, it was this book called The Mortgage Storm. And it was 16 chapters of 16 different mortgage bankers that were top loan officers in the entire nation and each of them told their story of like hey this is how i started it's not very easy there's all this potential that you could become you know good and have a good life and this but like this is where i started and one of them uh this mortgage loan officer he's still a loan officer his name is jj masso he said rapid implementation equals success the faster you're able to implement things the faster that that information will go to the other side yes. and then it'll help you be successful. Yeah. Right. So today I taught a social media class from um, what stuff that I've been learning. And literally what I told them, I said, Hey guys, it's probably going to be a lot of info for you guys. Here's my challenge for you guys. Pick out three super basic things that you're going to do today. Yeah. And pick out three other things that you're going to do this month. Yeah. If you don't do that, You've wasted an hour and a half right. of your time this, yeah. this, you know, this class. And in the middle, I said it again because people forget, like you yeah. said, the information. Yeah. And then literally at the very end, I said, hey, what is three things that you guys are going to do? And a couple of them started in it. And I'm like, that's it. That's, right. that's what's going to create success on that. You know, people, including yourself, has asked me of like on social media and all this stuff. And it's like, dude, I barely know what I'm doing. But guess what? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm implementing. Yeah. I'm implementing. Yeah. And that's what you have to do. But that is so good, man, because believing something is is so powerful. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, that that's when you can take it back to religion and everything. And it's like, you know, you, you hear of like Scientology and, 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 you know, all these cults that you're like, how, like, who would be dumb enough, right? For lack of better words <laughs> sure. to, and I can say that because if you're that, you're probably not watching this sure. because you're not allowed to, but like how, who would be dumb enough to do that? But it's like, that's how powerful belief is. Yeah. That's it, man. That's insane. Like, man. That was so now here's, here's something else I'll point out, which maybe didn't even think about it. I saw your post. I think it was on one of your stories about the mortgage storm. And there's something that you wrote about that book. You said, I've read this at least once a year, every year since I've been in the business. Yeah. 
So not only was it a one-time thing where you were, where you heard these stories and you felt like you could relate, but you're continuing to expose yourself to these stories and the repetition yes. is what helps your belief. So by the time you read it the fifth to sixth time, you're like, I'm no different than that guy or that girl. That's so they, true, man. They had a crazy, they didn't, they didn't have like a leg up when they got started. So if they can do it, why can't I do it? That's so and that's f- the, true, that's man. That's the, just the, the start that you need to get the ball rolling. That's so true. And I heard that from Darren Hardy, actually. I started doing, uh, started reading books uh, over and over again because it goes back to the information thing, right? How many people that do do you maybe know that they're constantly reading books, but then you're looking at yourself and you're like, dude, like, is he really reading them? Or like, because he's not really improving, right? He's not standing out like in all these things. And he talks about that. It's not about how many books you read. But in, in, in I'm all about simplifying everything. And what it makes me think of, it makes me think of any time that we have um, kind of created like a, a path to like the homeownership or like the process. And it's like you get pre-approved, you find the house, you look for the house, you find the house, you get under contract, and it just kind of gives you the path. So it's like you read the book and you get the information. Mm-hmm. Then that information is going to translate to you implementing into your life. Once you implement to your life and it becomes a habit, it will compound until that, like you know all about compound, compound oh, yeah. interest and all that stuff. So it will compound until, until you achieving your goals and becoming that better, that better you. Yeah. Right? And it. It, but the thing is that sometimes it's so like, it comes and goes whenever you read a book or even watch a movie or this or that. Like my wife last night went to watch the new Elvis movie and mm-hmm. I, and it was a three hour movie and I can guarantee you, she probably forgot like 80% of it <laughs> yeah. and that's everybody else just yeah. because it's like you're, I mean, how many times have you watched a movie and then you watch it again and you're like, wow, I don't remember that. Yeah, Don't remember that part, dude. And then unless it's a movie you love and you watched it a ton as a kid, I'd tell you the whole script. Exactly. Yeah. And, <laughs> Dude, one thing, the last thing I'll say, and then I want, and now I, I want you, I'll ask you one last question, but talking about movies, mm. one thing that I heard that was so powerful is think about movies and how if you watch it, you're going to miss a lot of stuff. The next time you watch it, it's uh, going to, you're going to miss, um, you know, less things and then r- realize that there's things that you missed the time before. Mm. And then, so, you know, again and again, and again, well, think about life. Once you pass it once, you can't ever go back. So how many times, how many things are we missing? How many people are we, uh, you know, missing the opportunity on connecting because we didn't pay attention? Mm, And, and it it was just that, that kind of really made me think of like, man, like you have to be more, uh, intentional in everything that you do. So man, uh, thanks so much for coming. I really appreciate you. And I want to ask you one last thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to put an exact age because I, I want this to be hopefully an impactful answer, but think of like anywhere between an 18 to 25 year old, let's say okay. um, that what is like the best advice that you could give them overall? That's a really good question. I think the best advice to give to an 18 to 25 year old and this is going to sound like a blanket statement, but I want to unpack it a little bit once I say it, is to invest in yourself before you worry about investing in the market or anything, crypto, whatever it might be. Invest in yourself first. 
I heard from one of my, the, the guy that was over the grad program at Oral Roberts when I was there in grad school, he said, your 20s are for learning, your 30s are for earning, and your 40s are for returning. It's not that you don't do all of those things in each of the decades, but in your 20s, you really get this opportunity to just glean a lot of wisdom and insight and figure out what is it that I want to do? Where am I going to carve out my niche for really generating revenue in the next decade? And then once you've had that success and you've done it for yourself, it's about now helping others do the same and building up the next generation, right? So I think in that window of 18 to 25, you figure out what it is that you like, what drives you, what ignites a passion inside of you. That's an investment in yourself to figure out what you don't want to do as well as what you do want to do. And I think once you start to figure that out, it's finding the right people to mentor you and coach you and hold you accountable to certain things. That's another investment in yourself. If you can have side hustles and side businesses in college or that type of age, like that's fantastic. Try those things out. But figuring out what it is that drives you, what excites you about work and vocation, and then having people that can coach you and you can learn from their mistakes. I think that's the most valuable thing you can do in that window of time. That is really good, man. And I know I've said this before, um, and I'll say it again because it aligns exactly with what you said. You're a financial advisor. I am a mortgage advisor. And if you look at our field, we're not the only ones. There's thousands, hundreds of thousands, so many of them. And then you look at the top 10%, the top 1%, and then you're like, man, they're way ahead of the pack between everybody else. Why is that? And one thing that I heard that truly just like clicked in my head, and it was so many people, no matter what they do, they know what they do. They know how to do it, but only the top, top people know why they do it. Mm, And you can't ever find out your why until you invest in yourself. Yeah, that's powerful. Man, thanks again for coming, bro. Thanks for having me, Will. Appreciate you, bro. Sounds good.